and walking at the same time, almost at the exact same time. And I remember the one from my left came in, and I was standing on the left side, and he had on a suit, a tie, a watch, I could tell you, a couple rings on, real clean-cut guy, right? And the other guy that came into my right side walked in, and he had on overalls, boots, and a wife beater. Can you say wife beater in church? Was it? We'll say, we'll say a white tank top. Okay, let's go there. And, you know, this guy was rough looking. He was dirty. You know, arms were dirty, so forth. So my dad looks at me and he says, well, which one do you want? I said, well, I want the guy in the suit, right? At least he smells right. Like, that's who I want to go wait on. So I go over there and my dad just kind of grinned. He went to the other guy. So I get over to this gentleman had the suit on and he's looking at merchandise and so forth. And he's looking at what we call in the jewelry industry more of a, uh, a, a, lower, uh, a lower ticket item, low price point item, okay? And uh, I'm waiting on him, and I've been with him for about five, ten minutes tops. And I see something move this side of me, and I turn around and look, and it's that other guy. It's, it's Billy Bob. We'll call him Billy Bob. <laughs> Billy Bob's walking out, and he's got a bag. He's got a Freedman's bag in his hand. He's done. He's walking out the door. And I thought, well, he probably bought a lower ticket item, right? You know, not a big deal. So I wait on this guy. I waited on this guy for an hour. I finally get him to the register. He had looked at every low-ticket item in the store. Finally picks one out. And by the way, went back to the first one he looked at, which was really frustrating. I remember that, but that's okay. <laughs> so I get up to the register, and I'm checking this guy out. And I said, sir, how would you like to pay? And he said, well, do y'all do credit? I said, yeah, we do credit. So now I spend another 30 minutes getting all of his information put into the system, all that kind of stuff. And then this word pops up, which is the worst word in retail, declined. So I spent an hour and a half with this guy, doesn't get to purchase anything on a lower ticket item, and I'm thinking of all these customers been coming in and out, and all these other people are selling stuff, and I'm losing all this commission, right? And I'm upset. And my dad looks at me and starts laughing. I said, what's so funny? He said, well, son, I'm going to teach you a valuable lesson. He said, when Billy Bob walked in the door, Billy Bob ain't coming in here to look around. Billy Bob finna buy something. He ain't finna waste your time. Do you see that man really hanging out in the jewelry store, right? So I said, okay, yeah, I learned this valuable lesson. And he said, by the way, he bought a $10,000 diamond. And he paid cash. <laughs> now, unfortunately, at some point in our lives, we have all been guilty of this, right? I mean, obviously, myself included. But even more unfortunate than that, the church has also played a huge role in this. That's judging someone by the way they look and their appearance. <clears throat> judging a book by its cover, if you will, right? I mean, we've all heard that saying. But there's one word that describes this, and it's a painful nine-letter word. And a lot of you ain't going to like when I say it, but it's prejudice. That's what I did that day. I was prejudiced. And again... The church is very guilty of this. I want to pull up the definition of prejudice. Oh, you already did. My bad. <laughs> Listen, you got to wait for my cue. You, you're making me look bad. You missed one week last week and you're not on cue. Like, everybody give Nick Ross a round of applause. 
Prejudice is an unfavorable opinion or feeling formed beforehand or without knowledge, thought, or reason. Too many Christians draw quick conclusions about people based on their outward appearance alone. But look what God says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. I'm going to pull this up. This is Samuel, okay? He's, this is Samuel. God has sent him to Jesse's house. He's supposed to go find one of Jesse's sons and anoint him the king. And he's looking at all of David's brothers. That's where he finds King David, right? And he's looking at all of David's brothers. And they're big and they're strong and they're good-looking dudes. You know, kind of like Bojo. I mean, that's what they look like, right? And then this is what, but here's what, but here's what God says to him. He says, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The church should look, or excuse me, people look at the outward appearance, but the church should look at the heart. I want you to think about it. Y'all may say, you know, I'm not guilty of this. So I'm going to read off a few things. Why is her hair that color? Why is she wearing that to church? Did you see all his tattoos? Did you see what they're driving? Have you seen their house? He didn't even go to college. Why does he talk weird? Why are you laughing? It's my own dang sister over there. That's why she's laughing. It's one less prayer for you today. Why doesn't he shave? And then, of course, my favorite, did you see how good looking that pastor was? I think Amanda slipped that one in my notes. You know what I'm saying real quick? But guys, really, it's the truth. Prejudiced or, or prejudging someone is alive and well in the church today. I want y'all to think about it. How many times have y'all heard those, those quotes, right? Like, seriously. You know, I know I'm kidding around, but I'm trying to be serious. The whole point of James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, is to diffuse this type of prejudice thinking in the church. I want to go, I'm going to read James chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, if y'all could follow along with me. My dear brothers and sisters, well, first of all, I'm going to stop right there, okay? My dear brothers and sisters. Now, this is James, and he's speaking to the church. Because who are his brothers and sisters? Christians. So what I want to do from here forward in the next few verses, brothers and sisters is mentioned a couple times. We're going to replace that with church, okay? My dear church. How can you claim to have faith in your glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into the meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor uh, and, and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Now, I want to stop right there because I've got to explain this to you. Back then, um, the way that the temple was, there were, okay, like the middle right here would, would have no seats. It would just be floor. The outside would have chairs like they are there. So if y'all could imagine these middle seats not here and all of these people sitting on the floor or standing, this is what they would call the poor people. If you came in and you didn't look like you had any money, the usher was literally taught this. They would send you to the middle of the floor to either stand or to sit. Only the rich people could sit in the pews. 
I want you to think about this in today's church. Let's say you see a man driving up in a Cadillac. You know, a cool one, like a really cool Cadillac. Like I always wanted a Cadillac, but a cool Cadillac. Or Cadillac Escalade, that's even cooler, right? Because it's big, you put speakers in the back of it, be bumping like I used to back in the day. So you, you, let's say you got a Cadillac Escalade that pulls up, it's black, so I got chrome rims, good looking vehicle, right? And, you know, out steps this man who's got a, uh, you know, Rolex on, kind of like the guy I was talking about in the jewelry store, right? Guy with Rolex on, diamond ring, so forth. We'll call him um, Craig McDuffie, okay? We'll call him that, okay? <laughs> So this guy, he, he gets out, and, and I mean, he's styling, right? And he walks up, and, and the usher's standing there, and he's like, okay, you know, i got to put him in the right spot, you know, and so forth. But then let's say we have another guy that walks up, and he walks up because he doesn't have a vehicle. He's got torn clothes, and then obviously by the time he gets there, he, he doesn't smell real good. I, I don't know, we'll, we'll call him Bojo, you know. <laughs> but of these two men, back then they would treat them differently. They would put one to one side. Poor Bojo would be sitting on the floor right there in the middle, right? Craig would be up here front and center. And actually, let me rephrase that. In today's church, it would be different. I'm sorry. It would be different because we all have chairs, right? They would stick Bojo in the back corner away from everybody. And they'd put Craig on the front row so he's got the best seat in the house. I need to stop and say something. I'm not trying to bash our brothers and sisters in the church. But I am giving some truth. I've seen it with my own eyes, and it hurts. It hurts to see that. To know that another brother or sister church may, may do those things, the reason I teach this is because I refuse to let that happen at this church. Amen? And I'm going to tell you right now, one of my favorite memories of this church mm. We had been here maybe a month. It was before the pandemic hit. And I was, you know, I used to preach down here. They made me move up here. But I used to preach down there. I liked it a lot better down there, by the way. But anyway, so they made me move. But I was standing down there, and I'm preaching. And I remember looking out at the congregation. It was right before I preached. And I just broke down in tears because I looked out there. And I saw probably the most wealthy person in our church, very successful person in our church, and he was sitting next to a man who had just got out of prison, who didn't have a car to get to church, and they're worshiping together. That's church, guys. I will say I'm very proud of this church. I, every time that I talk to someone that comes here, whether they stay or they leave, because obviously we have a lot of churches in the area, right, to he his own. I never get upset when somebody doesn't stay. Matter of fact, I try to find them another church. But the ones that have come and they've stayed and the ones that have come and they've left, even the ones that have come and left have all told me the same thing. They were treated like royalty when they walked in the door. Good job, church. But here's the thing. Keep it up. Got to keep it up. See, that's what happens to a lot. I want to think, you think about this. Like you take a football team, you know, and they start out really good. I don't know. We'll call them the Razorbacks, okay? So, like, you know, the Razorbacks... You know, they start out really good, and everybody's praising them, and then they drive to Georgia. <laughs> Guys, we can't be that football team. We can't be that church. We have to be on alert at all times. Because the thing is, and, and you know, that's what I love about our hospitality team, is when people walk through that door, you don't know what they've been dealing with. You have no idea. It doesn't matter how they look. That's not what we're thinking about. 
what are they dealing with that day? And we need to love on them just like Jesus would love on them, right? We're going to get to more of that here in just a second. I want to pull up James. Yeah, I want to pull this one up. James chapter 2, verse 4. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgment, judgments are guided by evil motives? Okay, so 1 through 3 is talking about how you judge people and the clothes that they're wearing and where you would sit them and so forth. And then James says, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Do y'all notice the word evil right there? Got a question. Who's the evil one? Thank you. Replace that with Satan. Doesn't this discrimination show you that your judgments are guided by Satan's motives? We have to stay away from that as a church. James couldn't be more clear right here. This kind of prejudice is sin. If there's one place where people shouldn't be judged by class, it's the church. Discrimination over color, financial status, fashion, or appearance does not belong in the church. And I'm going to tell you something else. It doesn't belong inside or outside its doors either, nor in public or in private. Now, here's what I need you to understand by that. Who's the church? It's not this building, right? So when, when I'm talking about it doesn't belong in the church inside or outside the four walls, when you walk out that door, that doesn't mean that you walk in here and you love on everybody and you're not prejudiced in here, but as soon as you walk out that door, it's a different ballgame. You are the church. You are a walking, talking, breathing ministry. So when you step out these four walls, you better have that in mind. You are setting the example for the unbelievers. And if you act different outside of these four walls that you act in these four walls, that's not going to attract the unbeliever. From, uh, let's see, let's go, let, yeah, I want to read these. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. Grab your Bibles, I'm going to read these. Listen to me, dear brothers, listen to me, church. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't the rich who oppresses you and drags you into court? No, that's lawyers, Nick. That's lawyers. <laughs> Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as the person who broke all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have sinned, excuse me, you have still broken the law. Okay. From these seven verses, there's one main point that I need y'all to get and to grasp, and that's in verse 8. James is quoting Leviticus chapter 9 when he says, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And a lot of y'all say, now wait a minute, Jesus said that. Yes, he did, but he was also quoting Leviticus. That was in Matthew 19 when he said the exact same thing. 
This is all summed up, though, in Matthew chapter 7 by Jesus when he quoted what we call the golden rule. Pull that up for me, Nick. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. This is how the church should act. Plain and simple. Treat others the way you want to be treated. When you're treated unfairly, that's something that obviously it'll stick with you, right? I mean, I know it does me. You pastor really struggle sometimes with forgiveness. I think we're all guilty of that. I'll get there. I'm sorry. I want to discuss a couple things that Jesus did. There were three times that he would take something like this and, 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 and really teach to the disciples. Obviously, most of y'all know the story of Jesus and the lady that came in and gave all her money at the temple, right? The two pence. But I, I was studying on this this past week, and it was really cool. There, there was a, a Jewish scholar that explained it this way, that in the temple, when you would walk in and give your money at the temple, on one of the walls, when you walked in, there was a bucket of sorts. Uh, it was iron. And it was on the wall. And they would walk in and they would put their money in it. Now, if you remember, obviously back then there was no paper money, right? It was all coins. It was all gold or silver. So you can imagine these filthy rich guys that are walking there with this, they're dragging this bag of money. And you can hear it as they're dropping it in. It's just clink, 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 clink. You know what I'm saying? It's like, all right, who's been to Vegas? You know what I'm talking about? I don't, because I never win. The only times I've ever been, it's been bad. But you'll know what I'm talking about. Well, you just hear, you know, just all these coins dropping, right? So this is going on, and it's becoming a spectacle the day that Jesus was there. Now, again, this is from Jewish scholar. This is not biblical. All of a sudden, this woman walks in, tattered and torn clothes. And she walks over that bucket, and all you hear is, that's it. When all you've heard before that is Vegas, right? Jesus hears it immediately. And immediately can show the disciples and the rest of the people in that room that not only is she equal to them, but she even gave more. That's a beautiful story. And I know everybody knows it, but I, I wanted to add that little bit of it. Because I've never really thought of it that way. Jesus uh, and the Samaritan woman, in, in, you know, he was on his way back home. He was in Samaria. He stops at the well. Again, I know a lot of y'all know this story, but I'm going to show something here. He stops at the well, asks the woman for water. She kind of, honestly, to me it sounds like she's arguing with him, right? And, and he's trying to explain to her that the water that you would get from me, the cup that you would drink from is eternal life. It, you'll never be thirsty again, right? And the woman finally kind of figures out who this is. And she's like, I'm going to go, you know, I need to go tell people and so forth. And Jesus says this. He says, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. He said, that's right. You have five husbands. Now, what I need you to grasp from this is, first of all, Jewish people thought Sumerian people were nasty. And you didn't talk to them. They were a lower class that's what the church back then would teach the Jewish people. So the disciples are seeing Jesus, which actually they had left, but they came back and they're seeing Jesus talking to this woman 
who's had five husbands. So not only is it a woman that is a, a Samaritan woman and what they think is nasty, but then she's also an adulteress. But Jesus is visiting with her. Not only is he visiting with her, he's talking about eternal life with this woman. See, Jesus is showing those disciples that this woman is just as valuable as you are. One of the main things I want you to catch from those two stories actually is that plain and simple, it was two women. Back in those days, men didn't go seek out and visit with women. They wasn't right. Women were a lower class. That's how it was back then. Jesus is telling in these two stories that men and women are equal in God's eyes. They're partners. You go to Genesis and see that right off the bat, right? They're partners. Somewhere along the way, God's children lost their way. The last story that Jesus did that I want to talk about is, is Zacchaeus. I know everybody knows that story. Of course, everybody knows the song about Zacchaeus. Don't sing it because we've got visitors here today and y'all will embarrass me. Do not do that. But the cool thing about Zacchaeus, <laughs> Zacchaeus, I can see this. You know, he climbs up in a tree, right? And he's waiting on Jesus. There's people everywhere wanting to see Jesus. This is Jesus was going into Jericho. That's where he saw, that's where he saw Zacchaeus. So he's walking into Jericho. All these people are around. They want to meet Jesus. They want to see Jesus. They want to hear about this person. They want to see this person that they've been hearing about, right? And then Zacchaeus is in this tree. And I'm reading it early this morning. And God gave me a vision of this. Jesus sees Zacchaeus from a long ways away. I want you to think about it. He's in a tree, right? And the vision that God had given me, and this may be completely wrong. Again, it is not un, it's not biblical. We'll call this a Micahism, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing out there the vision that he gave me. One tree, and that's it. And he's in it. And Jesus is a long ways away. But Jesus sees him. The vision that he gave me was this, and I need you to take this away from this today. When you're looking for Jesus... He sees you, and he's coming. All you got to do is look for him. That's all you got to do. You might have to climb up in a dang tree to try and find him. But whatever it takes for you to find him, go look for him. He sees you, and he'll show up. Back to the story. So Jesus shows up, and uh, you know Zacchaeus is up there, and he walks by. Now, I need you to get something about Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector, right? But he wasn't just a tax collector. He was a dirty tax collector, okay? And most tax collectors, but do we have any tax collectors in here? I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings. I'm sorry. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Let me get a drink before I say all this. Then. Back then, not now, back then you would say a tax collector was like a mafia boss. I mean, basically they're stealing your money. It was like organized crime back in their day. I mean, that's what it was. And Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, come down. You know, you look like a fool. Get down. And I'm going to your house, and you're going to cook me supper. You know, a lot of people don't grasp that. It's like I preached not too long ago when Jesus just jumped in the, in the boat with Peter. Y'all remember that? Like, he just jumped in the boat with Peter, and y'all, nobody said anything. Like, that's weird, right? You don't just jump in somebody's boat. You also don't just walk up to somebody and be like, hey. I mean, it's, it's seriously, I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's like me, you know, if I walked over, Don, I'm coming to your house tonight, and, and you're cooking supper. I'm not going to ask Miss Ann because she'll hurt me. So, Don, you're going to cook me supper tonight. That's weird, right? Like, you're not going to invite yourself over to somebody's house. 
But what Jesus was showing was this. Not only do I want to hang out with Zacchaeus, the mafia boss, and show everybody in here that I love him just as much as I love my own disciples, but I trust him to cook my food. I trust him to take care of me. That's stout. That's stout. Guys, this is how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to love people. We're supposed to forgive people. We must see people the way that Jesus sees people and love them the same way. But that's hard, right? I think we can all agree on that. But here's the thing, guys. Prejudice is a different ball game. That is something that does not belong in this church. It does not belong in God's church. Period. And again, I need y'all to stand with me on this, that that won't happen at this church. And I feel the way to make sure that that doesn't happen is by teaching on it. Because sometimes we'll slip up, right? I mean, how many times are you with your other brother and you're watching a football game and you get to talking about somebody? Or you ladies, y'all just texting all the time. You're blowing up your phone, you're talking about somebody else. Guys, you're the church. Be careful. And I know a lot of times you'll say, but that was just between me and my friend. And I trust my friend. My friend would never say anything. Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. If that person will gossip about somebody else to you, they'll go gossip about you to somebody else. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Right? And then here's the big issue, though. It's not even that. Here's the biggest issue. If you and your brother or you and your sister are sitting there gossiping about somebody, what you just did is you walked over to your heart and you opened the door, and you allowed Satan to creep in. That's what happened. You, you think it's innocent. This is innocent. It's not a big deal. Guys, you give him a crack. He's coming in. I explained this the other day. Satan doesn't come through the front door of your home. What happens is, is your house is built on a foundation, right? And if your foundation is strong, there's no cracks in the wall. But the minute that that, sh that foundation starts to shift... There's a crack. That's how he gets in. He's slick, man. I call him Slick Willie. Like, seriously, he is slick. Getting in the... Uh, he is slick. Guys, if you got a crack in your foundation, fix it immediately. Don't allow him in your home. Don't allow him in your life. Don't allow him around your family. And it's things like this that allow him in the door of your home and sadly in the door of a lot of churches. James chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. So speak, so you do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Y'all know what that last verse tells me? That last verse, I'm sorry I didn't separate them, but for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's verse 13. And what verse 13 tells me is this, and it's really simple. If you're not receiving mercy, you're not giving it. That's it. If you're struggling and, and you're getting beat up all day long and, and your family's not showing you mercy, your kids ain't showing you mercy, your wife ain't showing you mercy, your husband ain't showing you mercy, you need to stop and think, am I showing them mercy? 
Because this verse is pretty simple to explain that the ones that show mercy will receive it back. And God has a way of grabbing other people's hearts that are not showing you mercy and transferring that heart into a merciful heart. I promise you that. Let him take over. Let him handle it. See, that's another issue is we try to go handle those situations ourselves. I'm not getting any mercy. I'm going to go put my foot down. Well, that's real merciful, right? Sit back. Pray about it. God, I'm struggling with this. I feel like I'm giving all the mercy I can here. I need you to grab their heart. God can do a lot better job than me or you can, right? So let's trust him to do it. <laughs> last night, man, last night, Annabelle went to homecoming dance. And, and, and first of all, I about cried when she came down the stairs because she looked amazing. But anyway, I, I don't like she's growing up. So, so we, we go and, and we take them to get pictures and we go out to eat and then we're going to the dance. And I got a car full of loud girls, loud teenage girls, and, and, and they want to listen to their music. Not only do they want to listen to their music, they want to turn it all the way up. Their music's awful. If Taylor Swift walked in right now, I'd kick her out of the church. I really wouldn't. She's a good, she's a good person, I think. I think she is. I, I hear she is. Anyway, I don't know. But anyway, so, so here's the thing, though. You know, it says that if you give mercy, you, you'll receive mercy. Well, last night I gave mercy from the time we left the place we ate, from the time we got to the Deadgum High School, and I never received any back. The only mercy I received is when they got out and I could shut it off. When faced with the choice of judgment or mercy, go mercy, guys. It triumphs over judgment. Guys, you should show mercy the way that God shows mercy to us. I mean, obviously, he sent his son to die on the cross for all of our sins, right? We should show the same kind of mercy, the best that we can. That should always be our mindset when it comes to that. See, that kiddo gets it. You see what I'm saying? Like, she knows. I want to leave you with one more story. I'm going to close this up. There's no way I can finish today. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely not. Unless y'all want to stay here another hour. I mean, Cowboys don't start till 3, so we're good. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to close this out, and I'll tell you what, guys. We'll come back next week, and, and we'll go to the rest of James chapter 2. So, but I want to end with this story. Um, years ago, and this, I want to explain what mercy can do. Let me rephrase that. I want to explain what godly mercy can do. Okay? There's a difference. There's definitely a difference. What you think is mercy, God's mercy is 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times greater than that, okay? There's a gentleman owned a jewelry store. One day, there was a guy that was down on his luck. He put a mask on, grabbed a baseball bat, and went into this guy's jewelry store. Now, the man had staked the store out. There were two females that were there working behind the counter. He did not know that the owner of the jewelry store, the man, was actually in the back. He had staked it out all morning, and he thought it was just two females. So his thought was, I can go in there and just scare them, and I can get everything. So this man walks in with the baseball bat, got the mask on. He walks in, grabs the baseball bat, doesn't smash any cases or anything, but he puts the bat right in one of the girl's faces, and he says, empty out every case. And about five seconds later, he hears a voice behind him says, get on your knees. 
the guy slowly turns around and the owner's standing there like this. Obviously, the robber realized he's in a bad situation because he brought a bat to a gunfight, right? But he hits his knees and he looks right at the, he drops the bat, hits his knees and he looks right up at the owner and he begs for mercy. And he explains. He said, I lost my job a month ago. I can't find a job. My kids hadn't eaten in days. My wife and I haven't eaten in over a week. We're fixing to get kicked out of our home. I'm desperate. The owner the whole time is standing here with that gun right up next to his head, by the way. And he slowly backs the gun up. And he says, I'll let you go on one option. Can't ever do this again, not to me or not to anybody else. And he says, you need to put your face somewhere else. The guy gets up and he runs out the door. Three days later, the man shows back up. This time without a mask and without a bat. And he goes to the owner and he says, I just want to know why you let me go. And the owner looks at him and he says, because I don't want to kill anybody. If there's an opportunity for you to know Jesus Christ, I want you to live. So the guy looks at the owner and he says, I want you to teach me about this Jesus. Months go by, this, this owner is mentoring this guy. This guy, things start to turn around for this gentleman. He gets a job. He's able to supply for his family. By the way, the owner of that business helped him get a job. So they're working together through this process. The man got offered a job up north. So he moves. The owner of the business had not heard from this man in years. Three years goes by. He gets a letter one day in the mail. And the address on the letter is from a church up north. And he opens the letter and it's a picture of this man accepting the position of pastor of a church. Y'all take five seconds, give God another round of applause. That is godly mercy, guys. You see the difference? There's a big difference there. Guys, grab a pen and paper. I want y'all to write this down. By the way, there's new pens, if y'all didn't notice. Don't steal my new pens. <laughs> Told y'all these things cost money. Go ahead, Nick. That's at the end of verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Guys, remember this. Remember this, because here's what's going to happen in your life. There's going to be an opportunity that you're going to be sitting in front of someone and you're going to have an option and you get to make that decision. I can either get this person with major judgment, what they deserve. I can get them with this. I can do it. I have the power. I'm given this opportunity. I have the option to do it. Or you can show them godly mercy. When you have a choice between the two, mercy. Do you understand me? It's going to happen in your life. 
It could be a kid. It could be a coworker. It could be your wife. It could be your husband. It could be your friend. It could be your pastor. Mercy. That's biblical. I guarantee you right now, you're probably thinking of somebody that you slap that judgment on. Big time. I mean, big time. It's what I call the five-finger ministry. Just put it on them, right? I want you to think back right now. If you'd have gave that person mercy instead of that judgment, how do you think it would have ended? Here's the thing. You have no clue. That's where faith comes in. You don't need to make that decision. If you have that opportunity between the two, you go mercy. Now, I need you to understand, there's times that judgment has to take place, right? I get that. I'm saying when you have the option and it's staring you in the face, give them the same mercy that God gives you. Because I'm going to tell you what, we're all sinners and we all deserve burning hell. I'm just going to be honest with you. But thankfully, God sends his son to die for every sin that we have. All the mistakes that we've made. So we don't have to do that. That's godly mercy. We need to be showing it. Amen?